Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today I actually wanted to continue our discussion on the subtlety of the saved and sin doctrine of Walter Vyth. Now, again, I want to make a few concessions before we start. And you can see in the comments, um, if you are looking at some of this stuff, you can see very clearly in the comments that that there are people on all sides of this and others have made some some character assessments of myself which will be ignored but as far as the the issue is I do want to make a few concessions about Dr. Walter Weith that I think are important that you understand before we continue and look at this doctrine and I pray to God in fact we are gonna pray before we start but I pray to God that we can try to stay focused on the doctrine here and try not to focus on either myself or Dr. Vyth. I could be an error. He could be an error. None of us are above that. So it, it's possible for us to be an error. But if one of us is, the message of reproof and rebuttal should should follow. So let's have a word of prayer as we get started because I think this is very touchy subject with many people. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your truth, for the simplicity of your word, that your words were not written for the scholar only, but for the, the very lowest of intellectual capacity may understand if they love you they may understand and know the true doctrine please help all who are listening here today myself included to get a correct understanding of what your will is for us and to stand for the right though the heavens fall in Jesus name Amen all right, so a few concessions here. Number one, uh, Walter Weith makes it very clear, okay? He does make it very clear in all the videos, whether it's What's Up Prof uh, number 60 or 61, or this Q&A, two different Q&As that, that we've had. We're going to actually look at a couple of those videos today or actually listen to a couple of those clips today. But he, he makes it very clear that we are to keep the law and that we are to overcome through Christ's strength. He, he says that over and over and over again, folks. The problem is, is that he understands perfection and sinlessness as being required by God's people differently. There's no question. Differently then does the spirit of prophecy show us. Now, it's hard for some people to see. You have to actually really listen very intently to what he's saying and take notice of the little things, the little nuances of the thing that things that he's saying where he, he implies and makes it, he makes it clear at certain points that you are not to be sinless. So the problem is here, and we need to tread very carefully because 
people think that I have an axe to grind against Dr. Vyth, they couldn't, they couldn't be further from the truth. I will tell you, as I've said on this show before, anybody who's listened to this show for uh, any number of times for the, over the past year and a half, two years, that I've mentioned previously that it was through the Total Onslaught series of Dr. Walter Vyth that I was converted to the truth. So I'm, I'm greatly indebted to the man. God gets all the glory, yes, but I'm greatly indebted to the research that he did, and I'm very grateful for him preaching the truth in that instance with such clarity. There probably is errors in the total onslaught somewhere. Uh, I haven't seen them. So I, I think it's great. I own it. And I'm very grateful for it. So please don't misunderstand and think I have an axe to grind against Walter Veith. But I am zealous for the truth. And I apologize if that comes on strong sometimes. But I would imagine John the Baptist had a, a similar issue with that. Especially when the Pharisees came to see him. I'm not saying Walter Veith's a Pharisee. That's not what I mean by that. But... Uh, I'm very jealous for, for the truth, and, I, and I, it bothers me when someone who has such a wide platform as Dr. Veith does have, when they start teaching things that are confusing God's people. Again, the subtlety that's in all of this, and it's very subtle, but you can get it if you listen clearly. He is teaching this, but it is subtle. The problem is that if accepted that I am not to be I am not called to be sinless but I'm merely going to be declared righteous by Jesus Christ and all the work is done in him and my perfection is found in him all 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 points of which are mostly true there except for the fact that he's saying you won't be sinless especially in the last days throughout history people have clearly achieved the goal of perfection in their lives. Elijah was translated. Do you think he was translated with sins that he still needed to overcome? Of course not. Moses as well. Yes, he sinned right before the promised land, but he confessed, he repented, and obviously he he overcame that, that moral character flaw that he had because Jesus came and contended for the body of Moses and brought him to heaven. Enoch would be another example. Someone who walked with the Lord and overcame and was translated. All right, now a second reason that I think we need to tread very carefully here is that there is a danger, and it can be a danger on my part in my overzealousness, uh, of pushing people into this doctrine, uh, simply out of spite. So if you think that Dr. Veith is saying nothing wrong here, then you're not hearing him properly. And you're not really considering the fact that he's really sowing confusion here on this issue. And how do we know? Well, I think what would be perfectly uh, a perfect good perfect example of this the last discussion that I had the very last radio program 
on a rebuttal to Walter Veith's doctrine of saved and sin. Not, not a rebuttal to Walter Veith on a personal level. No problem with the man. But his doctrine. A rebuttal to that doctrine. If you look at the comments, you'll see that people are falling on all sides and everywhere in between. There are people that clearly have accepted, and I've talked to them, but you could see it in the comments for yourself and just look through them and see what people are saying. But I've talked to people as well who have accepted Dr. Veith's reasoning on this, and they've come to the conclusion that they don't have to be sinless, that perfection is really completeness, and perfection is something you do in your sphere, and then Christ declares you righteous and makes up the difference. Whereas, folks, a doctrine like that could destroy your spiritual walk with Christ. Because if you decide to hang up the towel and to rest and tell your soul, soul, we, we will overcome in Christ and there's no work for us to do, then you're going to stop growing because you're going to say it's all done in him. And what's so insidious about that is that there's a lot of truth to that. Make no mistake. We can be perfect, and that is sinless, but it is done through Christ's righteousness, not through my own, so that he gets the glory. So while I will maintain that a, a sinless state of perfect Christian character must be attained, especially on a corporate level, In the 144,000, a perfect sinless state must be attained, will be attained, as we're told, by the 144,000 just before Christ returns, and it has been done on an individual level throughout history. The folks that have accepted this doctrine say that that's not necessarily the case. So there is a lot of truth to, to both sides here. The problem, I think, is where the conclusion's drawn. And I still, to this day, maintain this is a salvation issue. Because if misunderstood, and it's clear that it has been misunderstood, that people will think that they can be sin sinful or maintain whatever, however they want to, however they want to uh, frame it. You know, I will always have my sinful nature. Well, yes, but that's why we die daily. Right? We die daily, we destroy the sinful nature of ourselves, and then we, we live through Christ, through submission to him. He lives out his life within us. We die. We are crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, we live, yet not us, but Christ liveth in us. That's the entire, that's the truth, that's the mystery of godliness, folks. That is the truth of the gospel. So, I want to point out some things here. How do we know that this is a confusing issue? One, people, and I've talked to them, but you can see it in the comments for yourself from the last video if you look up this video on YouTube. Again, it's called A Rebuttal 
against Walter Weiss' doctrine of saved and sin. So number one, people have clearly accepted this doctrine and have now downgraded their idea of what perfection is. And as far as I'm concerned, they're on sinking sand. So there are people that have listened to, this is the point, there are people that have listened to Walter Weiss' series on this, discussions on this, what's up profs and, and, and others, and they have accepted it and they think they don't need to be sinless. If that's not what Walter Weiss teaching, then we can say at a minimum, at a minimum, that this is a confusing doctrine and that he needs to make it more clear. Is God the author of confusion? Of course not. Now, number two, how do we know this is a confusing issue? There are Adventists who disagree, who also are clearly seeing that this is what he's teaching. There are people, including myself, who when you listen to what he's saying, you're saying to yourself, why did he say it like that? Why did he say that? And then on the other hand, then, you know, two minutes later, he's saying, yes, we need to keep the law. And yes, we have to overcome sin. But then he says, but you'll be declared righteous and it's not done. It's not done in you. That we can agree with. But you'll be declared righteous. That, mm, depending. Declared righteous, yes, is a starting point. But then you're on probationary time through the sanctification process. And then he says, those who say that they will be perfect, it's not biblical. Well, that, that we can't agree with. See, so there's two, there's two parties already. There's people that are listening to the same thing, and they're coming to the exact, they're both hearing the exact same thing. They're both hearing that he is saying we do not need to be sinless, especially concerning uh, the last days, those who go through the time of Jacob's trouble. So you have two parties there. They're both seeing it. One disagrees, one agrees. All right, and now you have a third party here, a third party. They're saying that, well, no, he is teaching righteousness by faith and that we have to be, but we also have to be perfect, but in our sphere and that there's nothing wrong with what he's teaching and there's no error here at all. Well, again, I would just say just, just because of the fact that the other two parties exist in such bulk numbers the the messaging here is not clear it's not clear obviously so that's that's best case scenario folks best case scenario we won't really talk about worst case scenario but best case scenario is dr vice his his messaging is not clear and it's people are unsure of exactly what he's saying on this particular issue that's a problem because you guys know where I stand I make it very very clear in fact I'll explain it in, in five seconds here about 15 seconds sin is transgression of the law God commands that we keep his commandments right if you love me keep my commandments Therefore, if we are keeping his law, we are not sinning. 
Therefore, we will achieve a state of sinlessness. Does that mean we go around telling people we're sinless? Of course not. The Spirit of God will never, humility and meekness on this earth will never bring somebody, even if they have achieved, and Mrs. White says this, even if they have achieved, they will never come to a point where they would make such a statement. I mean, modesty, folks. Mrs. White even said herself, I, I did not say I was a prophet. You called me a prophet. Then in another place, she says, uh, my work of a prophet, there's, there's, it's so much more than just the work of a prophet. So which one's true? Well, obviously, there's a, there's a, there's a self-exaltation factor here. And that's what is being missed here. And when Dr. Veith points out some of these uh, arguments, and you can watch the videos for yourself, I will post them again as one of the comments. But when he, when he structures these arguments, he says, he who says he is without sin is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, he says that in the sense of actual sin, not in the, sense of, not in the context of self-exaltation, which is, is what it is meant to be understood as. Okay, and we're going to look at some of those quotes, uh, both from Scripture and the Spirit of Prophecy, on that particular issue. And I've had actually someone send me uh, a quote where, where Mrs. White says, we should not say we are sinless. And when you read the, the little section of the quote that was sent, you say, wow. Well, clearly, she's saying that we're not going to be sinless, or that we at least should not say it. But then you look back and you, you look at the rest of the context... And the context clearly is talking about self-exaltation, declaring yourself sinless, something the Spirit of God, again, that will never be a fruit of the Spirit of God. So, for those three reasons, this is not a clear issue, and at best case scenario, is Dr. Veith is sowing confusion on this issue. That's best case scenario. Because of the people that have accepted it, and they have come to the conclusion that we will not be sinless, which is wrong. Or we are not called to be sinless, right? Or that we'll just be declared sinless and it won't actually happen in reality necessarily. Then you have the other people, group number two, who also see that he's teaching this, and they reject it. And they stand on the spirit of prophecy and scriptures. People like myself. And then the third group, who think that he's teaching righteousness by faith, are not considering the other two groups. So again, if, if we're all coming to these different conclusions here, then it's, it's not clear. It's not clear. So the first thing I want to do is I want to replay the clip from last week and remember the context of the clip, and you can, you can go and watch it yourself again. This is from What's Up Prof number 61, right around the one hour mark, where he says that we are not going to attain or not called to attain to a state that is higher than Moses. So here's the quote. I believe that salvation has had the same criteria for all time. And for me to say, that I have to reach a level that is higher than that of Moses because he had to die and didn't go through the time of trouble in terms of being able to mm -hmm. stand with a righteous character when he 
talk to God face to face. Yeah. And when they doubted his position, his brother and his sister, God said to them, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And when that Shekinah glory departed, there was Miriam and she was leprous. Yeah. And Moses said, heal her, Lord, please, please heal her. And God said, no, put her out of the camp for seven days. Let, the, let her think about herself mm. and then she can come back. So he healed her, but he, he permitted the consequences, yes. right? So are we going to say that we are in a better position or we have to reach a better position than Moses reached? Well, then you have to be consistent and say, well, we have to reach a better position than Enoch reached. Mm. And let's say the righteous that have died as martyrs get up out of the grave with that glorious, glorified body. Are they any worse off? Have I reached a higher state than them? I think that is verging on presumption. But uh, if people see it differently, let's not make a war about it. All right, so folks, there, there it is again. That was the same quote from last week. And I want to highlight something. He said there quite clearly that I am not to think that we are supposedly to be called to a state that is higher than Moses. And then he said, in terms of being able to stand with a righteous character. That's what he said. So that's the context. So he's talking about sinfulness, right? And, and I know that there's a, there's a controversy on whether or not he's discussing sinful nature versus versus actual sinfulness and i can say that there's there's a little bit of talking out of both sides of your mouth on, on this particular subject folks he's saying here in terms of being able to stand with a righteous character and he's he's saying that the belief that we have to become perfect that is sinless. He's, he's saying that that is an incorrect belief. Now again, some people will say that, well, he's talking more so about the sinful nature, which we will always have, but we gain the victory over that sinful nature. We deal with that sinful nature each and every day. That's why we are called to live up to all the light that we have. Now, I want to point out something else, too. Mrs. White makes it very, very clear that we are to attain to Adam's sinlessness. So I want to point something out to you here. From the Signs of the Times, July 23rd, 1902. And this was a quote given to me by Golden Autumn in the comment section. And it is, it is very, very powerful. It says, Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will 
reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. Folks, I know sometimes in the scriptures something gets lost in translation because it was originally written in Greek and Greek was such a superior language to the to the English language there was there was something like nine words for the word love and they all had different variations and meanings and context of of what love was and different kinds of love where we just have the one word love Mrs. White on the other hand um, she is very very clear there's nothing lost in translation in fact she was sent here to make to make these things clear there's no Gnostic teaching in Mrs. White's writings. So when she says, I'm going to read it again, Signs of the Times, July 23rd, 1902. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will, will reach the condition of sinlessness. Yes, that buzzword. Everyone who by faith obeys God's commandments will reach the condition of sinlessness in which Adam lived before his transgression. So if we are going to make the argument that Dr. Vyth is talking about the sinful nature, Mrs. White would disagree. Mrs. White would disagree with Dr. Vyth whether you understand him as talking about actually being sinless or if you think Dr. Vyth is talking about just having the sinful nature. Because she says, and let's, let's face it folks, it's not her who's saying it, is it? It's the Holy Spirit speaking through her who inspired her pen. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, is saying that when we by faith, that's how it's done, right? By faith, obey God's commandments we will overcome our sinful nature. If, if we are going to be like Adam before his transgression, obviously the sinful nature is going to be overcome, as well as the sin. And we don't have to beat around the bush as, as to what this means. It's very, very clear. God's people will be perfect, that is sinless, and this is this is available to all people in all times and this will be a special work mrs white says a special work of putting away of sin or sinlessness if you will that will be done in the last days for the 144,000 those who go through jacob's time of trouble so we've seen it done on individual levels throughout history and god knows the truth of this this amazing message but in the last days, it will be done on a corporate level as well. It's not just a declaration, folks. It's something that's going to happen. Now, it's also something that's going to happen, it's important to remember, not in our own strength. It's not something we do. Actually, our work is really to get out of God's way, to practice willpower and self-denial and overcome every hereditary and cultivated tendency to evil. That is our work. That is our work here on earth. And that's that work will be accomplished in the last days. Now, 
I want to play another quote for you guys from Dr. Veith. And this is from a video called Walter Veith Personal Experience Questions and Answers. And this is right around the 37 mark, 37, 40 second mark. And he says, we will not be perfect. And it's not biblical or supported by the spirit of prophecy. Listen. And this idea that we will stand and be perfect. Această idee că vom sta și vom ajunge la această stare de perfecțiune. While we have a fallen nature. În timp ce avem o uh, natură căzută. And that we will have the perfect character of Jesus. Și că noi vom avea caracterul desăvârșit al lui Isus. Is not Biblical, neither is it in the spirit of prophecy. Now again, folks, these things can be confusing because on the one hand, he'll make a statement like that, and then later on, he will tell you that you need to keep the law. So again, I would say it's like talking out of both sides of your mouth. I don't mean that disrespectfully, but that's how it's coming off, where it's it's hard to keep it's hard to keep in line with what he's saying because he is saying two different things you saw him bring up the sinful nature again right and we just totally destroyed that entire concept with one little quote from the spirit of prophecy now in the last quote also so he's saying people that believe that you have to be perfect even though we'll have a sinful nature, it's not supported by the Bible or the spirit of prophecy. So I want to point out another quote on sinlessness. And again, this was given to me by someone in the comment section. And I praise God. I praise God for the assistance of my brethren on these. I praise the Lord that there are true Christians out there that know what they believe and can get the quotes to back them up and that they don't just accept whatever they hear from their favorite pastor and preacher so praise the Lord this one is from Review and Herald April 1st 1902 it says Christ has made every provision for the sanctification of his church he has made abundant provision for every soul to have such grace and strength that he will be more than a conqueror in the warfare against sin. The Savior is wounded afresh and put to open shame when his people pay no heed to his word. He came to this world and lived a sinless life, that in his power his people might also live lives of sinlessness. He desires them by practicing the principles of truth to show the world that God's grace has power to sanctify the heart. So again, the call is to be sinless. The call is to be sinless. And will we attain to what Christ attained? Absolutely. Absolutely. And we are called to that. We are called to attain to what Christ attained to. This is a quote from Signs of the Times, June 10th, 1903. Mrs. White, again, the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, inspired Mrs. White to write these words. Listen carefully. All through the scriptures, he has given us assurances 
that through his grace we may attain the same perfection of character that he attained. So again, Dr. Weith versus the spirit of prophecy on this one. He literally just said that those who think that we can attain to the perfection of character that Christ attained to, we can't. Mrs. White literally just said that we can. You see, it's undermining Christ's work. That's what, that's what Dr. Veith is doing on this one. With this doctrine, not saying anything about the man, not implying any, any motives behind why he's saying what he's saying. I'm not, I'm not judging the man. If I were to judge the man and people don't know the difference between judging, judging righteously, and judging people, like condemning them, if I was judging Dr. Veith, I would be implying and all out saying uh, that he's lost or, or that he's doing this for money or some other reason why I think he's doing it. I'm not implying any of those things. This is all about the doctrine, folks. Is The question is, that statement that he just made, is it correct? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And it undermines, it undermines the work of Christ. Because Jesus Christ came into this world to give us the power to become the sons and daughters of God. Not just to be forgiven, though that's a great part of it, but to actually overcome unto perfection through the process of sanctification. And by faith, one day, that goal will be 100% realized in all his people still living on this earth. As I've stated before, in the last days, God is going to give the desires of your heart to people that want to reject him, they will be fully wicked. And the people that want to be like him, that by faith are striving for his righteousness to be, to be perfected in their lives. A perfection of character that Christ had that we may attain to, as the signs of the times, June 10th, 1903 says. Again, I'm going to read it one more time. All through the scriptures, he has given us assurances. That means it's not a hidden doctrine. That means it's all throughout the scriptures. He has given us assurances that through his grace, we may attain the same, the same perfection of character that he attained. You see, when Peter says that Jesus is our example unto all things, that we should walk even as he walked, he's not... It doesn't mean you just strive for it. That's not what it means. It means that you can strive for it and you can reach the goal. It's not, it's not a goal that is, that is beyond your limits. And I'm not saying in your own strength. I'm saying in his strength. But it is a real goal. Perfection is a real achievable goal. In reality, overcoming both the sinful nature and achieving sinlessness. It is possible, folks, and it undermines the work of Christ to say otherwise, because that means he is not 
really, not really our example, but just a figurehead of what we should be or that what, what we can be in the next life. No, he's, he came to this earth to prove to men that they can overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. They can overcome sin and they can overcome every tendency, evil tendency that they have unto sinlessness, unto perfection. That we turn around and say, turn around and say, I have arrived. I, I am now sinless. No, nobody, nobody who loves Jesus Christ and understands that it's his work, even if they had attained to that, would ever say anything like that. We all consider ourselves unprofitable servants because we know that our work has been to submit to him. That's it. Not, not that we have done any great and mighty work, though it does seem like a mighty work because it's battle with yourself. But that, that's why the image is displayed over and over and over again throughout the spirit of prophecy, that it is divine power plus human effort, right? So there, there's not no work for us to do. There is a work for us to do. There is a role for us to play in this work of sanctification, in this work of moving towards perfection. And I'm not talking about merely being declared righteous or being declared perfect. But I'm talking about a real achievable goal, which is perfection. That's why Jesus couldn't turn the stone into bread, because he couldn't use his power. Because if he used his power, how could he ever be our example? He couldn't have. He lived a perfect life to show all of us that we can too. And that is being, that is being sidestepped here. I want to play another quote for you. It's on where he talks about being perfect versus the two extremes. Now, this is in his video called Q&A with Dr. Walter Veith, Victory Over Sin in 2021. And I'll leave the link again. I'll leave the link for all these videos. And this this particular quote is right around the 26-minute mark. Actually, pretty much 26 minutes on the dot. Listen. There's another point. You see, people tend to choose one of two camps. There are those with the view that you have a fallen nature and you are incapable of keeping the law. And that is the one group that we have in the world. The other group goes to the other extreme and says, yes, we will be able to keep the law perfectly, just as Jesus kept the law perfectly. And the two parties never meet. But somewhere in the middle, there is the concept, yes, we must overcome sin. And we must strive in our sphere for perfection. And this is the work of a lifetime. And 
if you accept the righteousness of Christ by faith and in your sphere and in his sphere, you are working towards what we call the sanctified life. So, folks, I don't want you to miss that. Now, again, he's going to go on to say that we are to keep the law and that we are called to stop sinning. He's going to he's going to say those things. However, however, he said there's two extremes, right? There's those who say that they're going to they're going to keep sinning uh, right up until the end, and then there's the others that that say and that you can't keep the law, and then there's the others that say that. Yes, we will be able to keep the law just as Christ kept the law. Folks, that's the camp I'm in. And I, I'm not saying that in my own strength, that I would be able to do that. It would be done through Christ's strength. That's the, the mode, through his grace, by faith, that no man should boast. That's how it's accomplished. But clearly, he's saying that you are in the extreme party if you do believe that you will be able to keep the law. And then at the end there, he basically says that you are considered perfect, right, if you're working towards the sanctified life. In other words, he is, in my opinion, conflating the striving towards perfection with the actual final goal. Now, we can be perfect at every stage. Uh, of our growth that's possible so again best case scenario here is that what he is teaching is confusing and there's many many points like this where it seems not to make sense and he's saying that we can the other extreme is those who think they will be able to keep the law just as Christ kept the law perfectly and of course we've read that we can attain, we can attain to what Jesus Christ had for us. His perfection, his perfect keeping of the law. It is possible and it is something that we should claim because we have a very high moral calling. Now I looked up the word perfect because it was actually brought up in this video and the word perfect in Matthew chapter 5 verse 48 where it says be ye therefore perfect even as your father which in heaven is perfect it's number 5046 in the Greek concordance and it's teleos it means perfect man full of age brought to its end finished wanting nothing necessary to completeness perfect that which is perfect consummate human integrity and virtue of men full-grown adult of full age or mature now each and every one of those things can clearly be applied to a perfect character that is sinlessness or the perfection of Christ's character which as we've learned from signs of the times that it is attainable now another thing here that is I'm gonna bring up and again I'm I'm giving this the full treatment because people are confused about this 
and we have to we have to know this doctrine we have to we have to see through this stuff so he says around the 32 minute mark of this same video that nowhere are we described as sinless which of course we've seen a couple quotes where that is not the case so he says that right around the 32 minute mark and he also says some say that we must be exactly as perfect as Christ was and he's saying that obviously in a way where he's disagreeing with it right and again we've seen the quote we can attain to his perfect character so right around the 3550 mark just almost exactly on the nose there that's what he says and now the point I want to bring out this is the longest clip that we have where he talks about last generation theology now last generation theology obviously is a term being invoked uh, to to describe a certain philosophy now I don't know all of the ins and outs of uh, last generation theology and I quite frankly don't care what I do see is I see that we will stand on earth without a mediator that the us uh, we will have a special work of putting away of sin the context of all that in that quote which is a quote I read last week the context of that quote is so clear that it can't be misunderstood remember mrs. white doesn't she doesn't pull punches she doesn't say the word perfect and mean something else she doesn't say that the word perfect and standing without a mediator means that there's a special putting away of sin if she doesn't mean that sin will be put away right and she's not talking about sinful nature versus being declared or decreed sinless right she's talking about the genuine article she's not she nothing's lost in translation with mrs white she is saying it very very clearly now he talks there's a question about last generation theology in the same video and it starts right around 49 minutes and 20 seconds listen um, Brother Rawl has asked last generation theology. What is that? And does it apply to us today? Last generation ge theology is an incredibly controversial issue. And uh, I'm going to tell it as I see it. And there will be many that differ from me. And that's fine. People can differ because do we understand the intricacies of all these things absolutely? Or are they so, so divine in their, in their conception that it is not always possible to understand everything? But what has been revealed to us, we can understand. My first premise is this. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Would you agree with that? Amen. Hebrews 13, 8. Exactly. So Jesus Christ has never changed. Has the plan of salvation ever changed? No. No, he was the lamb slain from the beginning, right? Correct. Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were saved exactly the same way. 
as anyone else. Abraham was saved the same way. He believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. But did he have works to back up the fact that he actually believed? Absolutely. God asked him to sacrifice his son. Did he hesitate? No. No. Because he had faith that God would raise him up again from the dead if he was to fulfill his promise. So that's where James says faith without works is dead. So the plan of salvation has never changed. So when a Martin Luther or an Abraham or an Adam or a Jacob or an Isaac or a Paul or a John or a Peter or a Stephen, when they come out of that grave, how perfect are they? Well, fully the Lord, the Lord has declared them to be perfect. They've been striving after it. Will they have any sin? Well, in order no, to, no. yeah, no, no, yeah. No, the sin must have been cleared, right? They must have come up before the records and the decree must have gone out that uh, they have been declared sin-free. And the disputation with the devil over their bodies has already taken place. Just like there was a disputation over the body of Moses. Mm -hmm. So the devil will have had a, disp a disputation with Christ over the body of every individual that has ever been saved by the grace of Christ. Would you agree? Absolutely, yes. Okay. My question, how perfect, how much more perfect than any of those could you become? Well, then Christ? No. Any of those that have been declared righteous that will come out of the grave one day, or those that have been translated and have gone to heaven before us, how much more perfect than they do you have to be? Oh, no, none other. We're on the same playing field. Okay. All right. So this is my premise. This is where I start off. I believe that the plan of salvation has never changed. Now, people that say the last generation will be different because we are going to stand without a mediator, right? Yes. Correct. Let me read you something uh, that someone wrote once about this. And it, he said the following, to live without a mediator does not mean to live without the righteousness of Christ or without the Holy Spirit or the saving grace of our Lord. Since all cases are decided for weal or for woe, the work of our divine advocate is concluded. No further charges by Satan can be brought against the saints, for Christ has answered them all. The cases of the saints have all been called to the bar of heaven. Christ has successfully pleaded our cause and secured a judgment in our favor. Nothing can now reverse that verdict. There is nothing more to say. Accepting Satan and his host, there is perfect agreement throughout the universe as to the 
Christ's verdict in favor of the saints. All questions have been answered regarding the future of the saints. No member of the Godhead needs to make any further defense on their behalf. All that remains is for Christ to return and for the saints to live and reign with Christ a thousand years. And that is where we stand. If the decree has gone out, let the righteous be righteous still. And let the unrighteous be unrighteous still. That's the close of probation, right? Yes. The decree, let the righteous be righteous still, means there where they stand at that moment, there where they have been declared righteous, that is where their mindset is. Ellen White says quite clearly, to be sealed is to be so settled in the truth that you cannot be moved. Amen. And yes, you will stand without a mediator. You will be without a mediator because Christ has stood up from the judgment seat. But he has declared, let him that is righteous be righteous still. He has sealed your decision in your forehead. So by whose power are you standing there in this moral perfection that God has decreed to enable you to go to heaven? It in is Christ. in his. So again, extremely subtle, folks. But I want you to notice He's not saying that you'll actually be sinless. He's saying that you'll be declared. He highlights that. The decree that goes out, you will be declared sinless. The sealing is a decision, right? The decision that you made in your mindset will be is your is your sealing. Right? But it's being so settled in the truth that you cannot be moved. Well, in the truth that you can overcome would be one of those truths, right? Not just simply declared or decreed. And again, the way this is attained, God gets all the glory. It's done through his strength. But where we differ is Walter Weif is saying that it's merely a declaration or a decree. And this is why he says that there are people who think that in the last days that you will stand without a mediator and be perfect and you will not be able to sin anymore and that's wrong well and then he goes on to say and you can you can one of the the his his other Q&A that was in I believe it was in Romania he goes on to talk about how people will still be able to sin throughout all time if they so desire because God is not going to remove the, the freedom of the will. Well, he, this is what he's talking about. you got to understand what he means when he says that. He's talking about the fact that we will be decreed and declared righteous, especially in these last days, right? These 144,000, they will be declared righteous and they will still have free will. Well, of course they'll have free will. So we're, this is where we differ. Most people who, who read the Bible and the spirit of prophecy 
understand that free will will always be there. Christ died for free will. Adam and Eve were able to sin because of free will. Satan and Lucifer and a third of the angels were able to fall from heaven because of free will. God would not overcome their free will. In the last days, when God's people are perfect, they will still be able to sin if they so choose. But they will have gained the victory and they will overcome. They will not want to. That's the difference between the true theology that is given in the scriptures and the spirit of prophecy versus Dr. Walter Weiss. Dr. Walter Weiss, and perhaps he's contending against these last generation theologians on this, I don't know. But God is never going to overcome your free will. But that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean that you won't be perfect. And I don't mean, I mean being sinless. <laughs> I mean being sinless. Now, he talks about a few things here where he gives somewhat of, I believe, is a straw man argument. And we have to go over it because, because we need to ascertain the correct understanding of what's being discussed here. He gives... 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 10, talking about he who says who he is without sin is a liar. We need to go over this. So it says, starting in verse 7, 1 John chapter 1, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, it says that again at another in another chapter of 1 John, but that's the gist, that he who says that he is sinless or without sin, he is a liar, right? And as we've read through this, it's, it's because Christ is the one who gets the glory for this. And the Spirit of God will never move somebody to make any kind of declaration such as this. That's why we can juxtapose this verse with another verse from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 through 9, it says, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now how do you, how do you marry these two verses together? Well, if you understand that in the first quote, which is one of the arguments that Dr. Vyth makes, that he who you know says he's without sin is a liar. If you understand that that verse is all about self-exaltation, whereas the 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 second section that we looked at, First John chapter three, is all about what God wants to do in your life, and that is to have you overcome sin, that you you do not commit sin. If you understand those both properly, there's no problem. They're in perfect harmony. 
Now, is that what is being meant there? Is Dr. Vyth presenting something uh, out of context here, which I think he is? Let's understand what it means, the self-exaltation. And he also, in the What's Up Prof, episode 61, he quotes from Third Selected Messages, page 355, which I've seen other people uh, quote as well. Unfortunately, the full context is lost there. And so we're going to look at the full context and see that you, you were not given the full quote. So I'm going to show you, I'm going to back up from the quote, the section that Walter Veith actually quotes from is from page 355 where it says, We cannot say, I am sinless, till this vile body is changed and fashioned like unto his glorious body. But if we constantly seek to follow Jesus, the blessed hope is ours of standing before the throne of God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, complete in Christ, robed in his righteousness and perfection. And that's from Signs of the Times, March 23rd, 1888. But it's in Third Selected Messages, page 355. Now if we back up and understand that what that actually means in context, we go back a page here. It says this. Why is it that so many claim to be holy and sinless? It is because they are so far from Christ. I have never dared to claim any such a thing. From the time that I was 14 years old, if I knew what the will of God was, I was willing to do it. You never heard, you never have heard me say I am sinless. Those that get sight of the loveliness and exalted character of Jesus Christ, who was holy and lifted up, and his train filled the temple, will never say it. Yet we are to meet with those that will say such things more and more. Manuscript 5, 1885. So this is all about self-exaltation and not about whether or not someone is actually going to be able to achieve that state of sinlessness. Let's, there's another quote in the same, right around the same section here. It says, I want to say to whomsoever the glory of God has been revealed, you will never have the least inclination to say, I am holy, I am sanctified. After my first vision of glory, I could not discern the brightest light. It was thought that my eyesight was gone, but when I could again became accustomed to the things of this world, I could see again. This is why I tell you never to boast, saying, I am holy, I am sanctified. For it is the surest evidence that you know not the scripture or the power of God. Let God write let God write it in his books if he will. But you should never utter it. I have never dared to say I am holy, I am sinless, but whatever I have thought as the will of God, I have tried to do it with all my heart, and I have the sweet peace of God in my soul. I can I can commit the keeping of my soul to God as unto a faithful creator and know that he will keep that which is committed to his trust. It is my meat and drink to do my master's will. Manuscript 6A, 1888. That's page 354 of Selected Messages, Book 3. Now again, it, this is all about... Declaring yourself sinless is all about self-exaltation. It will never be a fruit of the Spirit for someone to do this. Now she, she clearly says that it's achievable... When she says, let God write it in his books, 
if he will, but you should never utter it. Does that mean that it's not achievable? No, quite the contrary. It is achievable. Clearly it's achievable. But you shouldn't be saying that. You shouldn't be going around saying, I have attained or I am sinless. Never, ever will God's people say that. They will always consider themselves unprofitable servants. And that's an attitude, not a statement of what's actually going on in the perfection of their character. And those two things are not put in their proper places in Walter Weiss' understanding. Now, I want to give full context to the section where Walter Weiss says in What's Up Prof, episode 61, where he says, We cannot say I am sinless till this vile body is changed in fashion like unto his glorious body. But if we constantly seek to follow Jesus, the blessed hope is ours of standing before the throne of God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, complete in Christ, robed in his righteousness and perfection. Now let's back up and see the full thing. The title of it, the subsection, is not until this vile body is changed. It says this, 355, Selected Messages, Book 3. We must establish an unyielding enmity between our souls and our foe, but we must open our hearts to the power and influence of the Holy Spirit. We want to become so sensitive to holy influences that the lightest whisper of Jesus will move our souls till he is in us and we in him, living by the faith of the Son of God. We need to be refined, cleansed from all earthliness, till we reflect the image of our Savior and become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Then we shall delight to do the will of God, and Christ can own us before the Father and before the holy angels as those who abide in him, and he will not be ashamed to call us brethren. Now, this is the section right before that quote that Dr. Veith left out and one of his followers in the comment section left out as well. It says, But we shall not boast of our holiness, as we have clearer views of Christ's spotlessness and infinite, puri infinite purity. We shall feel as did Daniel when he beheld the glory of the Lord and said, My comeliness was turned in me into corruption. We cannot say, I am sinless, till this vile body is changed in fashion like unto his glorious body. But if we constantly seek to follow Jesus, the blessed hope is ours of standing before the throne of God without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, complete in Christ, robed in his righteousness and perfection. Ooh, that changes things, doesn't it? Because now when, we, when it says, we cannot say, I am sinless, it's talking about the self-exalted heart, the haughty spirit that would say something like that, and not about whether or not it's an achievable goal. That's a big, big difference, and in my opinion, misleading. Misleading by Dr. Veith, unless he's read the full thing. If he hasn't, I'm not sure why, but it is definitely misleading for those who simply see that quote and see it out of context. Now another aspect that he highlights is being perfect in your sphere. And when he says perfect in your sphere, and he talks about Christ being perfect in his sphere, many people have gotten, including myself, have gotten the idea that he means that you won't be sinless. 
that you'll be perfect in your own sphere, whatever that means. Now, I want to point out, folks, what is perfect in your sphere, especially living in the last days, mean to people who are going to be going through the time of Jacob's trouble? What's their sphere? What's this, what is perfect in your sphere in the context of the loud cry and the latter rain? Folks, I know this is a hard message sometimes, especially if you're somebody who thought or believed some of this stuff and believed that you can't overcome, or you're not being called to overcome every single sin in your life or to overcome your sinful nature. And the fact of the matter is, you are. So if you're struggling with this truth right now because you're hearing it and it's becoming clear to you, praise the Lord. And please, if it's upsetting you, take it to the Lord, pray about it, deal with it with Him, and then move on, knowing that, knowing that th this is this is a message for those seeking the narrow way. This is a narrow way message, folks, and it can be harsh. But someone has to tell the truth. And when the watchman is on the walls, the watchman sees danger in the camp. He sees, he sees something that is destroying God's people in their spiritual walk with Christ because of confusion. He has to blow the trumpet. He absolutely has to blow the trumpet regardless of who it upsets. Now, I want to read a few quotes here, and then we're going to close. And the last quotes I want to read are understanding, again, and this time I pulled, it's, a, it's the same quote, but I pulled it as I read last week, but it's from Southern Watchmen this time. So she, it, it was quoted in a number of places. So, Southern Watchman, January 24th, 1905. It says, Mrs. White says, Says the prophet, Who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire, and a, like a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Those who are living upon the earth, when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above, are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Through the grace of Christ and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of the penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work. That means different, folks. I know Dr. Fyth said he believes that uh, the path of salvation has been the same uh, throughout all history. And in a sense, that's true. But he, he uses that to deny the idea that there's, some, there's something special or something different going on in the last days. Well, this quote says... There is to be a special, special means not the same, it's different, okay? There is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin among God's people upon the earth. 
This work is more clearly presented in the messages of Revelation chapter 14. When this work shall be accomplished, what work? The work of putting away of sin. So eventually the goal gets reached, right? So work of purification, purification is reached. Work of putting away of sin, sins put away completely. Perfection reached, purification reached, sinlessness reached. A real goal, not a fake goal, but a real goal. Not declared, not decreed, but actually happens in you. Praise the Lord. It says, when this work shall have been accomplished, the followers of Christ will be ready for his appearing. Then shall he offer... Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. The church which our Lord at his coming is to receive to himself will be a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Fair as the moon, clear as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. And when you think about it, folks, this, this whole concept of saved in sin, which is being taught by him that much is clear because two out of three of the camps of people are seeing that that's what he's teaching some are rejecting it some of are accepting it and then the third camp is the one who don't see any error at all and that's because they're hearing the part where he is saying we have to overcome sin and we have to keep the law he's here they're hearing that part but they're not hearing these other things that I've pointed out. And those other two camps are. And the fruits testify, folks. The fruits testify that uh, what manner of doctrine this is. Because the fruits, are, the fruits are, are bad fruits. There are people that are saying, no, you don't need to overcome. Or no, you won't ever reach sinlessness. You'll never overcome your sinful nature in this, this side of heaven. So, and all of which are not true. Remember, we read it earlier. We are, go, we are able to reach the same perfection of character that Christ attained. We are able to reach the sinlessness that Adam had before his transgression. Direct quotes from the spirit of prophecy. And it's a hard saying. No wonder... 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 17 and 18 says this, For the time is come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall be the end of them that obey not of the gospel? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Folks, it's saying here that the narrow path is even narrower than we think. Why do you think that would be? Because there's a group, because overcoming sin is hard, <laughs> folks. Submitting to Christ on a daily basis is hard work. That's why we need a faith that works by love and purifies the soul. Because nothing short of absolute love to Christ is going to win this battle. But that's why Peter says that. Folks, there's going to be a remnant of a remnant of a remnant. But you can't say that no one told you the truth. Because I'm telling you here now, that's the cost. Count it. Count the cost and ask yourself if you really want to do this. I will tell you. 
that in my short time of being an Adventist, in my short life that I have had here on earth, I've never had the peace. I've never had the joy or just calmness that I have in Christ. And I'm so grateful for the wonderful God that he is. And I'm, I'm grateful to stand here, the nobody, nothing that I am, and to be able to defend his truth, especially with the help of my brethren who have given me some quotes here. Now, I also want to quote one more. And I quoted this last week as well. It's from Christ's Object Lessons, page 69. And it makes it very clear as well. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly produced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Now, Walter basically divorces the idea that perfection is sinlessness. Now, I want, I want to talk about what Christ's character is. Because Christ's object lesson says that when the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come and claim them as his own. Well, this is what Signs of the Times, November 15th, 1899, has to say about what God's character is. It says, as speech is to thought, so is Christ to the invisible God. He is the manifestation of the Father and is called the Word of God. God sent his Son into the world, his divinity clothed with humanity, to make known in his life and character the attributes of the Father, that men might bear the image of the invisible God. He was the embodiment of the law of God, which is the transcript of his character. So what is Mrs. White saying in Christ's Object Lessons? They're saying that the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people. And what is the character of God? It is the law of God. And if it's the law of God, keeping the law of God, well, sin is transgression of the law. So if it's keeping the law of God, then that means we will not be sinning. That is the goal. It is an achievable goal. It's not an idea. It's not just a striving towards, though that is an aspect to it. But it is a real, achievable goal. Now you might be asking, what about people in past ages who didn't reach unto perfection? Well, it is a different situation than what we are uh, living in today. Is that last generation theology? No, that's common sense. Here, let me tell you why. Mrs. White uses the example of a, of a plant, right? She uses it in, in Christ's object lessons. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear, right? Can a plant, when a plant is, when you put the seed into the ground and a plant starts to grow, and it's just a small blade, is that blade perfect? Yes, absolutely. You can be a perfect youngling or young version of the corn. And then 
you're reaching a different stage of maturity until finally the plant it's perfect the entire time it's growing but it still continues to grow until finally it is producing the fruit so just as someone like let's say Martin Luther who didn't keep the Sabbath how is he gonna be in heaven well that's because he lived up to all the light that he had so he was a younger plant and I'm not saying anything about his genius I think he's much smarter than than I could ever hope to be however God was not bringing on the test of the Sabbath to him right because he did reject that message from Karl Stott if you look up uh, that history there Martin Luther was presented with the Sabbath message and he rejected it but God God knew that people were coming out of the Roman Catholic darkness and so Martin Luther was called to live up to a certain amount of light and Martin Luther did live up to that light as did the other reformers but they didn't have all of the light right and we continue to grow and grow and grow well in the final days so this is where the difference is in the final days we have Ellen White Martin Luther did not we have the truth the fullness of understanding what God's will is for our lives in a sense in a sense though truth is always progressing in a sense we have all the light concerning God's will for our lives so we'll we are going to be held according to that standard of light this is why miss mrs. white says that those there will be plenty of people that weren't Sabbath keepers they'll be in heaven because it wasn't a test yet whereas today it is a test and it will be the final test for God's people so that's that's why that's why there is a difference that needs to be taken into consideration when living in the last days the mode is all the same the light must be lived up to but the light has grown and so God expects more and he is he's giving us the, though he expects more he's giving us more power to be able to achieve that so I hope this message I know it went on for quite a while I needed to give it the full treatment uh, so that you guys can uh, either hate it love it think I'm right think I'm wrong either way I've done my duty on this matter and I think that at best we could probably all agree that there's a lot of confusion around this particular subject with Dr. Vyth. So I'm Cody Moore. You've been listening to Truth Triumphant Radio. God bless. We'll catch you next time.